welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And a little while ago, Kelsey and I got together to kind of plan out our episodes for my maternity leave. And this particular slot, we said, let's do a novella. Let's be a little bit easy on our easier on ourselves and <laughs> have have something that we can still discuss, but maybe the synopsis doesn't take quite as much to put together. Uh, but then we started talking about this book and we realized we actually really wanted to feature it. Yes, we did. Zoe and I have been thoroughly enjoying this series. Mm -hmm. And this book just recently came out when we were doing the planning. So it was like, we can read it. (laughs) And what's nice about it is like, they're technically full length novels, but they're not super long. Yes, I actually was like thrilled with a lot of things about this book, which we'll get to talk to later. Um, Spoilers, I guess, about some of my opinions. (laughs) But yeah, this book is not particularly long, which I think is so interesting. And we've actually touched on that before, that this series, all of the books are a little bit more fast paced Mm -hmm. than many of Kerrigan Burns' books. Um, I suppose I should mention we're talking about Crying Wolf uh, by Kerrigan Byrne today. And uh, a lot, you know, like her Victorian rubber series, uh, which this is kind of a spinoff of, is really quite deep, heavy, and uh, I would say the books tend to be a little bit slower reads and longer. And they're very in-depth. Like, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of delving into, you know, specific traumas, and Mm -hmm. like, they're very, I would call them intensive reads. Like, they feel longer because there's just a little bit more intensity going on, and there's a little bit more... there's a little there's a lot more to discuss that needs to be yeah. discussed. <laughs> and the, yeah, and there's and also too there's just there's no way to like skim it and read it quickly. It's like you have to take your time with it. You have to give it the attention it's due. Yes, and I I love that series like oh my gosh. It's oh, I've I've loved everything that Kerrigan's written. Like even the ones that are a little bit more in depth and a little slower to read. Like the way she just does almost like dark. Mhm. Um, dark novels really well. Like I just get so like pulled into the story, and yes. like even I recently read her books that are not even romance novels. It's like kind of her Lady Sherlock series, but it's I, I thoroughly enjoyed it because like there was so much going on. And I will say, when Kerrigan Byrne decides to throw a twist in there. Psh- I never see it coming. <laughs> oh my gosh. I really want to read those. I really do. They're I mean, really I was good. Like, the third one, the third or fourth one's coming out soon. I can't remember. I just, or I was, you know, maybe I, maybe we should have thought about one of those for a Halloween book, like doing a mystery that's not actually a romance. I don't know. But <laughs> we aren't doing that for our Halloween episode, so that's fine. Um, we're going to have fun when October comes anyway. Um, but yeah, this book is the fifth book in the seri- the Good Girls series, which generally we've kind of we, – we kind of try to stay away from mid-series or late-series books just because it's like – it's it's nicer to have the introduction of characters, especially, you know, we recently had a listener reach out to us and be like, why don't you just do the whole series every time you read a book? How come you guys do like random books, you know, from all sorts of different series and mm-hmm. don't just like read all the way through a series? And the reason that we don't do that, I mean, maybe our answers are going to differ, Kelsey, but the reason that I see that we don't do that is because there's so many books out there to read and like... I think our listeners have fairly diverse tastes and like as as do we all with, within our tiny genre. <laughs> um, but I think that just gives us the opportunity to discuss a lot more different themes, different viewpoints, different books. I agree. I mean, I think of it the same way. It's like, you know, we can keep with the series, but, you know, if we're going to do that, honestly, like I would never want to discuss a book within like a series longer than four books. Yeah. Because like four books is really, I think, the attention span of a podcast and allowing. And so we are allowed to do more broad series, you know, we can do the Maiden Lane series because mm-hmm. it's like, it's going to take us a while to get through it, but we're not just going to do those books every single time. We're going to mix it up. We're going to give you different 
authors. We're going to give you new things. I think, too, it's hard if you're just going to do a series all the way through because there's so many books that are coming out and new series that are starting or series that have books that the next book is constantly being delayed. Ahem, ahem. I think we all know who I'm talking about. Anyway, um, so yeah, it just uh, is nice. I will say, though, what's nice about this series and why I think we are able to start so late in the game is that, in fact, our main character of this book doesn't really know the main characters of all the predis- the preceding books well yeah. at all. So this book comes in, our main character is essentially from another group of siblings within all the siblings. So there were four girls who grew up together, which are the focus of the first four books. And then they find out that their father had a, had a second family. Mm-hmm. And there were kids from that second family. And so they decide that they want to bring them into the fold and they're like no because technically the ones that we've been focusing on technically they're the illegitimate children Mm -hmm. and these are the legitimate children and so um they decide this was a key point actually in the fourth book but now we're actually getting to know this second group of siblings so starting here is almost it's almost like a series within a series yeah and so I think if you haven't read the Good Girls series, um, first of all, I highly recommend it. Um, I really loved the the preceding four books. As we've kind of mentioned, they are quicker reads. They're really fast paced. Um, I gobbled them up, I believe. I did too. I mean, I just shot through them. They're so good. And if you have a Kindle, I believe they're all on Kindle Unlimited, which yeah. for, for Kindle Unlimited users, that is a huge bonus for someone like me who owns a nook it really sucks <laughs> yeah. um you know i i totally respect whatever an author needs to do to uh for make the most money that they can make um and i really hope that this kindle unlimited stuff is is doing it for her uh but i um i just have found that you know First of all, I hate reading on my phone, which is the only way I can really read a Kindle. Um, so if it's on Kindle Unlimited, I went ahead instead and bought the hard copy of this book. So I thought that that was a better option for me. And that was really fun to read it. And so like all of my pages are dog-eared and highlighted so that I have like my quotes um, <laughs> uh, ready to go for this episode. Yeah, that was actually a fun switch because even though like I was looking up page numbers in my Kindle, like I, I wrote my synopsis based off a lot of Zoe's notes and she put page numbers in there for quotes and things. And I don't think I necessarily got the quotes you were referring to because oh. you just put page numbers in. And so I was like, I would skip to it. And I'm like, but this isn't what we're talking about. So then I would oh switch gosh. over to like where you were and then I'd pull a quote from there that I thought was applicable. But it's funny because there was definitely some... Uh, not quite converging correctly. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Of course. Um, I didn't think about that, but it makes sense. Um, it's okay. I mean, like half the time I don't even know, like you'll refer to page numbers in your book and I'm like, my Kindle doesn't show me the page number. It just shows me my location within the book and I've got nothing. <laughs> yeah, totally fair. Yeah. I, I've noticed things like that. But um, yeah, I I really recommend this book. And I'm excited for the rest of the series, too. So there's two I hope more the siblings. brother gets a story. Say again? I, I know it's called the Good Girls series, but I hope their brother gets a story. Yes, I really, really hope he gets a story. It's he has an interesting storyline. I don't know how much – I don't know if he even features in the synopsis, um, but he is the legitimate son and the only son uh, of their – the the Mr. Good or Baron Good. I can't remember what he is. Because, Baron, yeah. Yeah, because Emmett, I believe is his name. Emmett, yes. Uh, is is inheriting the title, but uh, he is gay. And I'm really interested to see if and, – and hopeful to see if Kerrigan – Burn decides to write his story as a full length book. I I I'm really intrigued to see his um 
to see his redemption because I I feel for him. Well, I don't think he needs a redemption. No, I think we're just intrigued about his you're right. story. <laughs> I, yeah, his, I really want him to get a happily ever after. It's like I feel that's what I mean by rede- redeem. Like he deserves something wonderful. He deserves to to a him. happily ever after for sure. <sighs> yeah. Oh, okay. Anyhow, okay. we aren't talking about him. We're talking about his sister. <laughs> yes. And before we begin, I have a bit of a history fact. So the events at the beginning of the book that kind of um, start the story is about the fact that our main character sneaks into the house next door because the house next door has a telescope. And she has always been fascinated with the stars and she's really intelligent and she knows that there is a meteor shower coming. So she is basically trying to use the uh, telescope so she can see the meteor shower better. And it turns out that this was a real event. Hmm. So our history fact is the Andromedids meteor shower. So Andromedids are debris from Belia's comet, known to historians as the comet that split in two. Belia started to fall apart not long after it was discovered in 1772. It was a double comet when it swung by Earth in 1852 and was never seen again. In 1872 and 1885, thousands of meteors shot out of the constellation Andromeda as Earth passed through Beale's remains. Chinese records described stars that fell like rain. After that, the Andromedids vanished too. The shower has been weak or absent entirely since the late 19th century. Only a surprise outburst in 2011 signaled that Beale's debris might still be lurking nearby. So interesting, and what an incredible sight she would have seen back in Victorian, the Victorian times. Yeah, so really exciting. And um, yeah, I was trying to come up with a history fact because we've talked to Kerrigan, so I felt like an author fact was kind of unneeded, I should say. <laughs> uh, because if you want to know more about Caring Your Bird, we have an interview with her. Yes. Yes, we <laughs> and, do. Um, but so I was trying to come up with a history fact and I decided to look into what exactly this meteor shower was. And sure enough, it was a thing. <laughs> Kerrigan is pretty good about her, you know, historical references and connections. Like she's, she's definitely one who likes to take from real events. If so, I've noticed. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's really fun when there's a tie into something, you know, in history, kind of putting you at a certain exact date and time or just, you know, an invention or whatever it is. Like, I think that that's really cool. But also if it's completely made up, like, that's great, too, (laughs) as long as it's well done. (laughs) Yes. Again, but that's the thing is you never know. Or it could just be something that was kind of slightly referenced. So it was just very, very interesting. And so, yeah, let's get into a little bit more details about our book. So we've got our main tropes to begin with, and we've got two things here today. We have a marriage of convenience and an age gap. (laughs) Yes. Our age gap does not feature prominently in the synopsis, but it is a big thing that's mentioned in the book. Yeah, and I can't remember. It's quite a bit. It's 16 years. Thank you. I was like, I know he's in his late 30s. Well, the 36 is not late 30s, and she's 20, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, like almost 21 or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They're so cute about it. I love their conversations about it. Okay, but speaking of them... Uh, our main characters today are now. Here's the question: Are we going to say Rosaline or Rosaline? I have it as Rosaline in my Rosaline. Head. Okay, Rosaline. you know what? I'm going to go with that. I like it better. So, <laughs> <laughs> listeners, uh, Rosaline, good is what we're going to say. Um, and Elijah Wolf are our two main characters. And uh, if you know a 
Rosaline, Rosaline, <laughs> uh, Rosaline. Yeah, Rosaline. You want to say it? <laughs> um, we're gonna say Rosaline today, right? That's what you said. Rosaline. Rosaline. Oh my gosh. Okay. Zoe's gonna say lots of. Things we're gonna today. say different names. If it starts with an R and ends with a line, it's the main character. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, forgive uh, us, but uh, we also love to hear your thoughts, especially like I said, if you know one um, or you are one, uh, yeah. how you would pronounce it. Yes. There are a couple trigger warnings. I do not get into these during the synopsis of the book, but I wanted to include them because if you are reading the book, I just thought it was a fair warning. So there is discussion of abuse by a guardian and suicidal thoughts. So Kelsey, shall we get into our synopsis? We shall. Rosaline Good is feeling restless, so instead of staying in her room, she sneaks across the narrow ledge that adjoins her attic room to that of the neighbors. She is there to use the neighbor's telescope, for her neighbor is an old lady who no longer ventures up to her attic room of wonders. However, tonight, instead of just focusing on the telescope, she sees a table that did not used to be there, and upon it are all kinds of artifacts. Led by an impulse, Rosaline looks through the treasures and pockets one that looks to be of no real monetary value. With that impulse quelled, she goes to adjust the telescope for an upcoming celestial event when all hell breaks loose. She is being shot at by an American, which makes the use of firearms seem more understandable. Making a break for it, Rosalind is momentarily caught, but manages, with the help of a very brave kitten, to free herself and hurry back across the ledge to her room. However, the American is in hot pursuit and winds up in her room, too. Elijah Wolf, our intrepid, obscenely rich American hero, follows her to her room next door. At first, he believes her to be a servant in the house, but then all hell breaks loose as suddenly there are multiple people at her door. One, it turns out, is his friend, Carlton Morley, who he knows owns the house he is now in. Suddenly, it becomes clear that the girl he has followed is not a servant, but is in fact his good friend's sister-in-law. And they also have been caught by a society mama whose daughter is practically engaged to Mr. Good, Rosaline's brother. Thinking quickly, Carlton tells Lady Brackenfeld that the couple in the room is engaged and just a little impatient for the event. Initially, Elijah thanks Carlton for the quick recovery. However, Carlton wasn't kidding. And that is how our couple becomes engaged within 30 minutes of acquaintance. It turns out that Rosaline, the youngest of the good siblings, is a bit of an odd duck. She's very smart, but is perceived as small and fragile. As she converses with her brother Emmett post this event, we learn a little bit more about their tragic childhood. Emmett is gay, but marrying a woman. He underwent conversion therapy and now hides his proclivities. Rosaline feels the compulsion to steal when she is overwhelmed by stress. The stress of seeing Emmett marry a woman with an overbearing and domineering mother caused her current theft. His future mother-in-law reminds her of her own mother, and that causes her to stress about Emmett's future happiness. However, she did steal an object, and in order to protect her family, the siblings she grew up with, and the others she just met, she will marry Eli. The next night, Eli finds Rosalind in the observatory in his house again. This time, she's dressed and firmly set on using the telescope to see the Andromedes. Quote, Tell me I'm not engaged to a lunatic, he gritted out, unable to tear away his death grip on the door latch. Tell me that you didn't break into my house after last night's calamitous fiasco and I didn't. She picked up the big leather logbook on the writing table next to the contraption and hugged it to her chest as if it'd block any incoming bullets. I called upon you this afternoon to ask permission, but as you weren't here, I obtained it from Mrs. Clarkwell. You can ask her if you like. I wish I'd known she wasn't the crotchety old wish she was reputed to be. I figured the damage has already been done. Does it hurt anything if I watch the Andromedids? Eli allows this, and she ends up showing Eli the meteors. And they begin to talk, as he believes they should know as much about each other and their families as they can. And this is where she also learns that he has never been formally educated and that he actually admires her intelligence. He's not a man that feels put down upon by getting instruction from a woman. 
Rosaline suggests a kiss, and he initially turns her down. Rosaline immediately apologizes, assuming it's because he's in love with another woman or perhaps he's gay. He tells her he's not. It's just that Morley had suggested the marriage be a name only for Rosaline's sake, as she is so small and fragile. Rosalind then proceeds to initiate a kiss, which leads to a much fiercer kiss, and it is electric. After Rosalind leaves, Eli decides he needs to stay away from her, at least until the wedding, because he is left with the feeling that he would never get tired of her or her kisses, and that is a little frightening. A fortnight later, we've had no interaction by the couple, and they are now wed. Rosaline is feeling a bit blue, but after a pep talk from her sister, she heads out to find her husband. She finds him speaking with some lords at a party, attempting to further a business association, but he's failing miserably. Rosaline, though, is able to smooth things over. Afterward, they go out on the balcony and talk. He thanks her for her help, and they bring up the subject of a wedding night. Rosaline is worried he does not find her attractive since he avoided her after their kiss, but he quickly tells her it's because he liked it too much. So their wedding night is steamy after they have a conversation about her thinking he didn't want her. He explains he had to resist temptation and also plans to keep his vows unless she releases him. Eli also has realized, though, that someone has definitely hurt her significantly in her past. The more he gets to know Rosaline, the more Eli feels he could love her. And while that is a bit of a frightening thought, it's not the first thing on his mind. They have a deliciously long and intimate encounter. Multiple chapters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I said deliciously long. That's why I referred to it as such. <laughs> yes. I actually went back and like looked. I was like, how many chapters was this encounter? Yeah. <laughs> More no, than it's, one. Uh, it's good and long. The next few weeks, the couple gets to know each other, and Eli tells Rosaline about his brother and a friend who deceived him, and how she's the only person who hasn't taken from him. And this makes her feel guilty, because she took from him the very first night that they met. After that conversation, Rosalind sneaks away to get rid of her treasures from her compulsive stealing. She's taken an item from each person who's hurt her in the past, something small and innocuous they wouldn't miss. With Eli, it's actually her joy that has triggered the compulsion, and she has pilfered many of his items, and now the shape and guilt is overwhelming. She is determined to return them and work on her compulsion, but Eli discovers her before everything can be returned and realizes she had taken the cup that he had bought the house searching for. Quote, I'm sorry, Eli. I thought this was harmless until you told me what you told me tonight. And I heard you, Eli. I vow it. I was putting everything back where it went. I'd made a pledge not to ever again touch what wasn't mine. Eli is furious and leaves her with the parting words. That's not nothing, he conceded. But no more. No wife of mine will be a thief, you hear. I refuse to spend my life watching for you to slip up, wondering what else you're going to take from me. I just... Both, fist curled, both fists curled at his sides. I won't fucking do it. After days of separation, Rosaline finds out Eli is at an auction, which is displaying the Anatolian sapphire that he's been determined to possess since it was taken from him six years earlier. When she arrives, she overhears his conversation with a mutual acquaintance. Rosalind decides to use her particular set of skills to use her particular set of skills to acquire the sapphire for him. After finding her prize, Rosaline is making her way back down to the party when she is caught by the guards who tell her that if she wants to get back down, she'll have to use her mouth to get out. Luckily, Eli, having previously spotted her as she ventured up the stairs, has been searching for Rosaline and comes to her rescue. They leave the guards incapacitated, but hearing more people approaching, Rosalind steers them to a closet. In the enclosed space, they hash out their grievances of the past few days and have an encounter which is steamy, but also honest words are exchanged, and Rosalind gets to explain her affliction and also the harsh conditions she lived under with her uncle. Living under such intense regard seems to exacerbate my proclivity. Indeed, often the anticipation of punishment would drive me to steal little things, his shaving brush, a favorite Bible, a pair of spectacles, the black bishop off the chess set in his study. 
He'd caught me once at 17 swiping a brass button from a shop in town. Rather than have me return the pilfered item, he gave me five sharp swats with the ruler on the open palm of my hand. When my skin broke and bled upon the final blow, I noticed how... Her breath hitched and she swallowed convulsively. I noticed how aroused he'd become, and I fled the house. I was caught, of course, and became little better than a prisoner in my own home. I'd taken to stealing things from my siblings, from the staff, and from Uncle Reginald when I had no alternative and could no longer stand it. I hardly ate. I never slept. I was a ghost waiting for this, this monster inside of me to finally do me in for good. After this unburdening explanation, they're discovered by Blackmore, who is the man running the auction and the hero of another fabulous book by Kerrigan Byrne, who tells them that something's been stolen, the auction is canceled, and the guests are being searched. Rosaline, as they are writing their clothes, admitted to being the thief everyone is looking for, but before Eli can do or say anything else, she goes to the ladies' area as directed by Blackmore. Eli, in a bit of shock, is confused when Blackmore offers a bag. He says it is to put the um, undergarments, which Eli divested from Rosaline during their encounter, so they can be discreetly taken home. Eli then is told he can fetch them after he's been searched. They return home separately, but when they are finally together, Rosaline shows Eli the sapphire that she had hidden in her undergarments, which were conveniently not searched thanks to their lusty encounter. Instead of focusing on the sapphire, though, Eli tosses it aside, quote, I came to this country searching for one fortune. He lifted his hands to her face, cupping it as if it were the most fragile, precious thing in the world. But I realized what I found was something more valuable than I could ever imagine. And then we get our finishing dialogue, quote, she kissed him with all the love she could hold, which was more than most people twice her size. I promise to be better, she whispered against his mouth. I will always be honest with you, Eli, starting with this first confession. He tensed a bit beneath her, but his gaze was steady as he looked up at her. I love you, Elijah Wolf. Oh, honey, he lifted his hand to extract the last of the pins from her ruined hair so it could cascade over them both in cool waves of silk. You took the words right out of my mouth. Then here, she whispered, have them back again. Her lips sealed over his, and that seal didn't break, even when he sat up, lifted her against him, and stood. Ah. Oh. <laughs> and then we have the epilogue. They have literally just had their first child, a daughter, and are discussing what to name her. Quote, I know exactly what to call her, Eli said. What's that? Andromeda. You two are everything in my sky. Andromeda, she murmured, our little constellation of joy. She's going to slay her own demons, I think. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Well, shall we take a quick cool down in the parlor before we discuss? Oh, we shall. Right, listeners, today we want to tell you about another guest appearance. Yes. So I, Kelsey, have guested on the podcast What to Read Next. So I'm going over there and sharing my recommendations for first time readers to historical romance, but also some of my personal favorites or authors that maybe you haven't heard of, things that I've read down the line. And um, and it won't just be Regency. I'm talking all historical romance. Whoa. So <laughs> um, yes, so um, I will be over there and it's quite fun. And Laura will also be joining us on our podcast in October to talk about Halloween. Fun, fun. Yeah, lots of fun uh, stuff coming up. Now, we don't have an exact date for Kelsey's appearance yet, but we wanted to mention it so that you guys can look out for it. But as soon as we do have that date, we'll be announcing it on our social media and probably it'll be up on the blog with a link so that you can easily access that episode when it's available. 
Yes, we encourage you all to listen. It's it's fun for us to be on other podcasts. And it's so nice of Laura to not only come on our podcast in October, but also to have me on hers. Yes, I love meeting other people in the book community and sharing our love for books and reading. (laughs) Exactly. In fact, uh, we just really like podcasting. In fact, our podcast, which we find super rewarding, is a super involved hobby and the time, effort, and investment that are required to make it are not insignificant. (laughs) And in order to give back more to you, our awesome listeners, our next step was to ask for your support, which will allow us to free up some capital so we can put a little bit more into the show, make quality improvements, maybe explore some live events or maybe some merch. We don't know. Um, (laughs) But it is with your support that we will be able to do this. So to do that, you can join us on Patreon. Yes. So our tiers on Patreon start at $3 a month. And with all of our tiers, you'll have access to all of our bonus patron content. And uh, you always get some really cool swag. And if you're able to pledge a little bit more, we have other cool perks like quarterly Zooms about books that we read on the podcasts. And uh, our top tier includes a chance to choose a book for the pod. So uh, I think we've mentioned a couple times we are we do have a couple of our um, aristocracy book selections coming up in October and November. So we're really excited to read and discuss the books from our patrons. Yes. This podcast is and always will be free, though. So if you're not in a position to show your support in a monetary fashion, that's okay. We hope you can support us in all the other ways that you have in the past. Liking, subscribing, sharing, telling a friend, telling an enemy, you know, just (laughs) telling everyone and shouting it from the rooftops. Um, However, we do hope that if you are in a position that you will consider supporting us on Patreon. And once again, the link to check that out is patreon.com slash Tia's and Tom and is in Nancy Strumpets. And as always, there is a handy link in the show notes. There are lots of other links in the show notes, like our Instagram and Twitter at T is in Tom and is in Nancy Strumpets, Facebook slash T and Strumpets, and there's our YouTube channel as well, linked right in our show notes for you. If you are listening to us on YouTube, hey there, now is a great time to click that thumbs up and hit subscribe before you forget. Liking and commenting on our videos and subscribing to our channel is a really wonderful way to let us know that you like what we're doing. So, Crying Wolf. Um, This is an interesting one because I think I read the synopsis, like when the synopsis was available, Mm -hmm. and I was like, eh, okay, whatever. (laughs) Like, I wasn't, I wasn't like jazzed for it. I wasn't like super excited because I felt like, you know, we, we, we read about the good girls that we knew. (laughs) <laughs> yes. It, well, exactly. We read about all the good girls and also, too, the good girls that we did read about had some wild adventures. Yeah. So, you know, and this book doesn't really have a lot of adventures. It has some intrigue, but it mainly takes place like in a house, in a ball, you know, in the bedroom. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it's not as. Um, and it's fast. It's very, it's very short. It's like, very fast. I mean, the others no, no, were I, short I literally and fast. Mean, no, I, I literally mean, sorry, in this respect, like, this book spans like a month. Oh, yeah. I mean, but they get engaged <laughs> within 30 minutes of meeting each other. So, you know. Yeah. Actually, that's not true. They they technically meet each other and are engaged. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. So um, it's definitely um, a very quick, I mean, you get thrown into it very quickly And it just kind of, once that pace picks up, it's kind of the pace it sets. Um, But it's actually, but it was really good. Yeah. I honestly loved the story. It was like cute and quick, but also, you know, there was a lot going on. Just their backstories, which you got more of, like as they got to know each other, were really intensive. Like Eli is this American self-made 
rich guy. I don't know if he's got millions, billions, or whatever, but he's definitely he has many monies. Fil- he has many monies. He's, he's got called all, all the monies in in yeah. the U- the United States. Huh. Yes, and so, um, but he started out as a, like a ten year old orphan working in Nevada mines like looking for precious metals and luckily through work and determination and a bit of luck he was able to expand that exponentially and now he's kind of focusing on some hobbies of his which are more well not our hobbies he's completing a vendetta which is why he has all these artifacts that he is pursuing and then on the flip side, you have Rosaline, who's like been very sheltered. She's very shy, like raised to be a lady, but was like very kept under lock and key. It's referred to that like her uncle was grooming her to be the perfect wife. So he could literally like sell her to the highest bidder because yeah, so he gross. was just looking to get money out of the situation. Like he didn't care for her or her siblings at all. It was literally like what they could do for him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then... They basically, the uncle is killed in the previous book. Yeah. And there's some wild things happening with her sister Felicity and the uncle there. And then that's when it all comes out that they have these siblings. And, you know, she's also so thankful that her new siblings have welcomed her so warmly. And she feels bad about everything that transpired. But, um, She's kind of just like, you know, it's just very interesting, the story and her her stealing compulsion. It kind of stems out of actually stems out of like OCD. Yeah. What it sounds like, like when she doesn't steal things, she develops like ticks, and, you know, she has a hard time. And so she just like gets overwhelmed. And the act like the first she talks about the first time she took something and it was like a ribbon. It was something super insignificant. But the fact that she took it and no one know it no one knew, it just like calmed a part of her that she'd never been able to before. So that's where this compulsive stealing comes from. The the entire compulsive stealing storyline felt really um what's the word I'm looking for? It felt really felt really personal. It felt like Yeah. Either this is something that, you know, the author has personally struggled with or knows someone very mm-hmm. close to them who who struggled with this. I don't know if you know this and, and to our listeners, too. Um, Kerrigan Byrne was actually raised in a cult um, and she um, recently had a fairly recently within the last couple of years was uh, on interviewed on a talk show about it because the cult specifically was kind of getting more attention um so i think that that just having that knowledge as a reader like it makes me really kind of just i don't know understand why she is able to do to write about trauma so well because obviously she has experienced it she has really experienced it, you know? So like, I, and I'm sure a lot of the people that, you know, are important to her in her life are, are you know, people she grew up with or other people who experience these traumas um, similarly. So I can't remember the name of the cult that it was, but I'm sure if you're interested listeners, you can look it up for yourself. Um, you can listen to her speak on this talk show about it. Um, it's pretty harrowing. Um, and so I think it's really, it's, 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 wonderful that she has taken her personal uh traumas and you know she she uses these books or she uses her books to write about trauma redemption right and growth from trauma and it's not just like like getting better from the trauma it's living with it and how these people live with it and that's just such an incredible gift that she has and it could be as something as small as, you know, OCD or a shoplifting compulsion or a stealing compulsion or something as big as, you know, sexual traumas that she has devol- or delved into in many of her books. So, um, yeah, I just I think she's a pretty incredible human being. Yes. Well, and, and on that note, you know, I think that she has a way of turning her traumas. And for me, it's not that they like just get over it. It's no. the experience of that trauma actually becomes in itself like its own superpower in a way. It's like our especially our heroines, like they 
are able to overcome the trauma, not in a way that makes it nullified. And they're like, I'm free, I'm better now, which I feel like is just so common. Instead, it's they take that trauma, they take that pain, and they're able to fashion it into something useful, either a drive and ambition, you know, or they're able to, in this case, like, use it for good. <laughs> well, you know, they they have ownership of it. Like they they take ownership of their trauma and they they make of it what what they need to. And like that is so empowering. And yeah, like I did love that in this book that Rosaline like goes and steals for the man she loves. Like she's yeah. like this isn't he's not going to get it any other way. I'm going to use yeah, I'm going to use what I'm good at and like I know he doesn't like it, but I don't give a shit. Like, I'm going to get him what he wants. <laughs> yeah. And also, too, like, there's also this beautiful part at the end of the book that I didn't say, but she talks about how it's in the epilogue and she talks about how, you know, they grew together. And like over the last year, you know, she really was working on her compulsions. And she it wasn't that they didn't they just went away because he was there. It was more she talks about it. It's like perfect. She's like, whenever I felt my thing, like she's like, and whenever she felt her fingers begin to itch with the compulsion, his hand was there to hold hers to support her and comfort her and give her that relief and that like calmness that she was looking for, you know? And so it wasn't that he was able to, you know, completely undo it, but instead he could give her, you know, silent support and to allow her to, you know, think an action through instead of just responding to the compulsion. Yes. So we're talking about her a lot. Shall we discuss her first as our, to get to our heroine rating? Yes. Um, I think she's just lovely. Like she really is like, a fun little like she's young and she knows she's been sheltered but she's ridiculously smart like her her knowledge of the heavens and just intelligence in general like she she's very intelligent and she owns it and in fact is like oh sorry I know that sometimes men don't like being like explained things by women and he's like no explain away I got nothing <laughs> yeah I I really love her she is like a little you know timid caterpillar who you know, has been put inside a chrysalis for a long time. And now she's just emerging as a butterfly. And like, I feel like we're, you know, we're, we're always, I'm always saying using kind of that metaphor, it's mm -hmm. like, I want to see my heroines transform into the butterfly, right? But I feel like the, at the beginning of this book, she is the butterfly, right? But she's just like hesitantly her fluttering wings her wings. Her wings are still wet. Her wings yeah. are not quite dry yet. She, she can't quite use them to their full abilities, you know? She has all the power, but she just hasn't used it yet like and it's mm -hmm. so she, throughout this book like she with Eli she is open and honest as like really very much so like w as soon as she realizes that her stealing uh little trinkets things that are of no value no real value like to to him would actually be like soul crushing. She's like, I have to write this wrong, right? Yeah, like, and she even goes to the point of like returning, you know, things. She even says she's like, I returned everything, like maybe anonymously, but yeah. at least I sent it to them, and they'd be like, Why did I get this like weird pen back? You know? Yeah, <laughs> but it's because she knows she took it, and so she had to write that because like she finally understood, you know, the soul crushingness of having something taken by someone you trusted. But but she finds her voice with him very quickly in their marriage. You know, like she's like, I do want to have a marriage with you. She's the one who initiates the kiss. She's like, mm -hmm. if I'm going to be married to you, then like I, you know, like I want to have a marriage. Like I don't want to. She's wanna... like, I want to give it my best shot. I don't want to pretend like I feel yeah. like if we're going to do it, we need to do it. <laughs> and like when things go badly or, or, or like get difficult, you know, she she really does speak up for herself, um, even though she's had this life of repression. So I have mm -hmm. a little quote that she says towards the end when they're reconciling. She mm -hmm. says to him, you abandoned me for days, she accused in a voice so low he had to strain to hear it, left me with no word, no goodbye. You did that to be cruel, to hurt me because I hurt you. But there's a difference between what we've done to each other, Eli. I never intended 
intended you any pain. Had I known how my actions affected you, I would have cut off my own hands to keep from offending you like I did. But you, you deserted our marriage without ever allowing me a voice. And now you've decided to return to our bed because your lust will not allow you to leave your thief of a wife. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and then he says like, that's not what I said. And then they keep talking. Yeah. Um, And then she explains a little bit more. That's like right before she explains uh, her, her compulsion and her why her proclivities are the way they are. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, just, I just love the way that she, she speaks. No, she does. She does speak up. And I think that that's really, I really liked her because she, yeah, she comes across as timid, but she's not actually that timid. She just doesn't had a chance to be in a supportive environment where like she is allowed to speak. And she's been told horrible things about herself. Like she's been, she's, been belittled her whole life, right? So she doesn't even think she's beautiful when she's absolutely gorgeous, right? Like so yeah. so there's little things like that where she's finding her voice and gaining self-confidence, but she really doesn't know how strong or wonderful or smart or anything that she is. Um so she is actually very humble, which is, you know, lovely that she at least has humility from, you know, as a characteristic, although, you know, I wish that she was humble from just not because she was repressed and didn't know, know things. That's terrible. But um, she's just, I don't know. She's just a special character. I really liked her. I really did too. What would you rate her though? It's a great question. Um, gosh, I, I really like her. I think I would rate her an 8.5. Yeah, that's fair. I'm thinking actually like a nine because like, you know, again, that's like it's the subjective, like maybe if the, you know, the story had been longer, but I don't really need it to be longer. I really liked her. And the reality is, is like, I wouldn't change anything about her. And I think that's the biggest thing. I was really hovering on a nine too. I'm going to change it to a nine. I think she deserves it. She's a badass. Yes. And her counterpart, Eli, is... Uh hilarious i mean kerrigan just like distilled like wacky old school western euphemisms and just distilled (laughs) them into eli and he's all he's like jesus she hosts a fat woman (laughs) and um i actually highlighted one anyway while i'm looking for that uh, i'll just keep talking about it but no he's um He's his own little, he's his own character and he knows that he has things that he, you know, needs. He's like, I'm not, I'm not educated. I'm crude. I'm crass. Like, I'm well aware of that. But he also, yeah, he's rough around the edges and he says that. But he also, he's got this sweetness and kindness despite it, you know, like he realizes that he Oh my gosh, this, sorry, I found my line. Are you ready for this, Zoe? I wonder if it's one of the ones I have highlighted. (laughs) So yes, I'm ready. Just his like little euphemisms. What tomfuckery are you talking, woman? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty great. Oh gosh, no, I didn't have that one highlighted, but I love, yeah, I loved him. He, you know, he's this big, rough kind of crass American who I'm not generally that into the American trope. Like it just doesn't, I'm not like, oh yes, give me all the British and American romances. I It's, it's like hit or miss for me. However, he was such a hit for me. Like he was hilarious. And then I think the thing that is just wonderful about him is, yeah, his humility. Like he also has a lot of humility. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he has a lot of pride, too. That's definitely an issue with, like, his business dealings. But when it comes to the people that he cares about, like, he will do anything for them. And he realizes pretty quickly that actually Rosaline is, like, someone who he is going to fall in love with. And mm-hmm. he – he uh, there's a line somewhere that I did it's, not highlight. It's a beautiful line. I thought I highlighted it, too. But he – he were talks about it. He's like, you know, I saw my mom and I saw other people struggle with addiction and it never was something I could understand until I met her in the sense of like he could just become addicted to having her in his life. 
I, I, yeah, I, I, like, I don't was, know it, if that's the one that I was referring to, but that definitely either, is part of that it. That was a line and it's very early on. And it's just like a thought in his own head. He's like, I never understood addiction till now. And that's and, part of the reason why he doesn't like talk to her for two weeks after a kiss. <laughs> well, I think it's later that I'm thinking where he basically realizes he's going to fall in love with her. And he kind of goes like, wow, she has no idea what's about to happen to her. <laughs> yeah. Because when, you know, because he knows that when he goes all in on something it is absolutely all in and so he at that point i think of the story is like well i'm not gonna just tell her how i feel right now because she's gonna be overwhelmed once i allow my (laughs) intensity to flow that much um but i loved so many things about him um i um at some point you know it's either like they're Oh, they're they're having their first encounter, and she says something like, "What if I want to? I've never seen a man without his clothes before. Never touched one." A grim sympathy twisted his mouth into a wince. "Lord, am I sorry? My hairy ass is going to be your first. He grumbled. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about maybe keeping some of my clothes on so I wouldn't frighten you too much. Um, but uh, I really uh, love, I love that it. You no, said and my she's hairy ass. We don't yeah. get hairy ass uh, heroes. In uh, no, we romance. don't. We get their perfect." marble taunt buttocks <laughs> and like let's be real hair happens there <laughs> oh yeah it does um uh, uh, but it's yeah no he was just really funny but he also was like really kind and understanding and uh, his deep-seated like anguish and like her understanding it comes from the fact that like he his brother and a best friend of theirs had these business deals. Like they were in business together. They like had pursued this treasure together. And then he was betrayed by both of them. And it ended up with both of them, I think, being killed. And so not by him, but by but by like other things that kind of happened. Other circumstances, yeah. yeah. But like they both ended up being killed. And so, you know, for him, like oh, that- one they, they, there was a mine accident, I think, because one one of them was siphoning money out of the mine operations to himself, and then the brother was trapped in the mine. And then I don't remember why the friend was killed or died or I can't remember. I can't remember that. Yeah, that was it. It was like the friend basically cut corners and it caused the death of his brother. Yeah. Who was also had already betrayed him. Yeah. Who had already betrayed him, but he didn't want his brother to die. No. And then so like there's just a whole lot of twisted thing. And that's why that sapphire was so important. And that's what she learns overhearing this conversation. And that's when she's like, okay, well, maybe if I get it, he'll like at least talk to me again. (laughs) because this is stupid. He didn't even tell me he was home. Yeah. I think though, yeah, like you were saying kind of is that like he, he has a lot of depth to him as a character. You know, there's this like rough, rugged, prideful exterior, but then there's the like intellectual wants to learn humble, loving interior, right? Like once you crack the shell and that's just that's just delicious uh, in a no, romance and hero. He, he's built and he's written so much at like his dialogue and his mannerisms are so much like a caricature of like American West, mm-hmm. you know, that it could be he could have been a very one note type of hero, but he wasn't. He had just as much depth as Rosalind did. And also the thing is like once Again, she also writes it beautifully in the sense of like open and honest conversation, guys, like also open and honest conversation without prejudice impeding your ability to understand the other one. Because like when she was Uh explaining her compulsions, he could have still written her off and just been like, no, I can't handle that. But instead, he was willing to hear her and listen to her and understand. All right. Well, before we give our ratings for him, I'm going to read you a quote that epitomizes what you just said about him. Um, This comes after he says, at the end, I came to the country searching for one fortune, but I realized I found something more valuable, right? So Mm -hmm. this comes after this. He says, Rosaline, my little wife, my greatest treasure, forgive me, honey, for being like them, like every person who is supposed to love you and instead made you feel small and afraid. It was their job to protect you, not turn your sanctuary into a place where you had no space to be yourself, no control over who you were or what happened to you, nothing but censure and perverse expectations. And then she continues, and it's a beautiful conversation, but, like, I'm not going to read it all. But, like, that's him, right? Like, that's him where he's like, I fucked up, and, like, I should have been this person for you, and I wasn't. 
and like and and I see what all of these other people have done to you. Like the fact that she is seen is probably for her also like such an incredible thing, right? Like mm-hmm. anyhow, Eli. He's also a nine for me. Yeah, I was even like, I was wondering if he was a 10 for me just because like I have, I feel like he's like pretty hot. <laughs> but I think, I think a nine is really solid. I, I love him. He's great. He was fun. Yeah, no, he was fun. I mean, his lines are the best. Like I just, I can't with his lines. Um, but no, I thought they were like really, and I really liked them together too. Like I think that they complement each other really well. Um yeah, so Speaking we've read of a, lines. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, well, I was just about to say, you know, we've read a lot of quotes already, but are there any other ones we feel the need to share? Oh my god. I have a couple. Uh, luckily they're all really short. But I have I definitely have a few. So the first one is in the beginning, the first scene between the two of them. Um mm-hmm. reaching down, she snatched the knife and pressed it against his middle. Let me go or I'll Honey, that's a bread knife, he said with a wry, caustic sound as he easily swiped it from her hand. What do you plan to do? Butter me with it? (laughs) (laughs) I just, just so great. I love it. Such a great introduction. Um, And I think maybe my very favorite just little like writing moment was she reminded him of a hummingbird. Quick bursts of motion interspersed by floating ethereal pauses. A creature so tiny and shy, she was easy to overlook. But if you were allowed close enough, you discovered feathers and features unmatched in exceptional and vivid beauty. Ah, are you that's kidding a beautiful me? writing and moment. That's, that's him also, like, mm-hmm. thinking that. Oh, no wonder yeah. I love him. <laughs> yeah, so the only other one I have to share um, was... Because I will have to also say, when I first read this, I wasn't reading it for the podcast. I just read it and then wanted to put it in the podcast. So then I had yeah. to go back and like take a deeper dive at the novel. But um, I did highlight this one. And this is like short. It's like the second meeting in the thing. And she's like, oh, I'm, I think it's when it's right after she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to explain something to you. I don't want to be a scandal to you. And he says, and as for the other thing, he continued stronger this time. No wife of mine is going to look down in shame. You got that? I realize scandal is a powerful tool in this country, but you're under my protection now. I'm tough enough to take whatever the gossip mill spews out and I'll rip out the tongue that speaks against you. Oof, yeah. I, I love that he is a protector, but also an empowerer. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, ugh. Yeah, he wants her to feel like, she can be her like that's the thing is like he he's like I'm gonna protect you but so you should feel free to do what you need to do because if anyone tries to harm you for that like they have to deal with me so you mm-hmm. just keep being you. All right, here's my last quote and then we'll move on. Uh, this is as they're having their first kiss. Oh no, he groaned as his head lowered to capture her mouth again. The heat that at once surged through him was followed by a cold, hollow ache, one that had been mined in the depths of the earth so long ago, a void he'd carried around with him that refused to be filled no matter what wealth he acquired. She was a dainty morsel of pleasure, an epicurean delicacy placed before a wolf used to tearing into flesh with his teeth and claws. He hardly knew what to do with a woman like this. Uh, I I read that and I just I love the Epicurean like morsel or whatever yeah. like and I like, like the the mind you know like yeah. using the word mind because he's a minor and also mm-hmm. like the wolf I love I love all of it so yeah no, it's right. no it's I mean Kerrigan Byrne is just a beautiful writer I love what she writes like the writing itself is compelling and yet she also makes these super compelling characters but she also knows how to make it steamy oh my god oh <laughs> my god i was skimming at zoe and i was like Hoo! Yeah. <laughs> the kiss the encounters how many encounters do we have two there's Three? two okay because there's well there's the one encounter that's technically like really i long. guess it could be two if you want to say it. it takes place in two different chapters but it's kind of like no ongoing. it's one there's yeah. like part one and part two um so yeah it's yeah. a long night Oh my god, though it is steamy. Like I mean, this is the and this is like oh my god, and the scene in the closet when they're like hiding, but also like they're reconciling, and, and so they then have they have such to a have, good conversation. No, it's such a good conversation, and then it's like I don't want to talk anymore. Like I just need you. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like a perfectly piping hot cup of tea of like one of my favorite varieties again. Like I just – Yeah, it's can't. super – yeah, it's hot. Yeah, it's I'm going to blow on it because I need to drink it right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I also think that, you know, we've talked about it feminist-wise. Oh my gosh. Like such very a supporter. supporter. I mean, all of these books have been very supportive though. That's just Kerrigan Byrne, right? Yeah. I think like if you're writing well about trauma and redemption from or, or you know, or trauma, I shouldn't say redemption because the the character has nothing to be redeemed from, but, you know, the the rise from trauma and the empowerment of life after trauma, like it, you can't do that effectively if it's, you know, if, if there isn't like good feminism, like through the pages, like that's what feminism is about, right, too. So yeah. um, I have also just a very small quote that comes from um, – uh, Rosaline's sister, Emmeline, or Emmeline. So she uh, is visiting Rosaline either before or after the wedding, whatever it is. And she says, hush you, Emma squeezed her close. You mustn't talk like that. You're not broken, darling. You're simply uncompleted. You're a young woman who has yet to finish becoming who she was meant to be. Certainly you can't be broken before you're even made. Are you kidding me? Like, oh my gosh, what an incredible sentence to say to someone who is, you know, who is working through their trauma and their pain. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That just reminds me. Sorry. It's like not a feminist line, but just a really good line. And it's related to that because after their first, after their, during their wedding night and she's holding him in her arms, he says, don't let go. He said more an appeal than a command. I think you're holding all the broken pieces of me together. I have that one highlighted too. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I think you're holding all the broken pieces of me together. I mean, like, (sighs) okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like such a supporter. I love the empowerment that I feel from this book from so many different angles. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. No, from start to finish. And I will. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, all the books in this series are super feminist. Like, I mean, you, we haven't, her amazing sisters, like only one of them is featured in this. Or no, two of them technically, Prudence and Emmeline. But then she's all these other sisters who are also super amazing. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, all right. Final book rating. Kelsey, what are you going to give this book? This is a nine. Yeah. I, Maybe I mean, even like a 9.5. I mean, like, it was super well written. I don't think I have any qualms with the storyline. Like, yeah, it's I'm there like, for me. I'm wrestling with why I can't give it a 10 in my head because as we've been talking about it and like reading these quotes, I'm just like, it's so good. But I think for me, it's also a 9.5. Like it's not going to – for 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 no good reason, it's not going to go in my yeah. very favorite books pile. But like it's so good and it's – like it was so what I needed to read right now, like mm-hmm. short, sweet, redemptive, empowering, uh, quick. Like I – love this book. I think that, you know, it's not like super fluffy, but it's also really comforting. Like, I don't... It is. It's written with a bit of like, um, I was actually just thinking about that because like, you know, we've we've had a novella be a perfect 10 before. So it's not the length of the book that, Mm -hmm. you know, can determine that subjective nature. But I almost feel like maybe because of the traumas that were in it, Maybe like the fact that it was like the the language and stuff had a bit more levity to it than some of like, you know, and then we go to serious mode. I wonder if maybe like because I it wasn't like, you know, but at, I don't even know what I'm really saying with this because it's not like I guess it's more like maybe I just needed it to have like more consistency in that tone except for the fact that I didn't dislike the tone I liked the moments of levity I liked what Tom fuckery are you talking woman (laughs) yeah I I mean I loved this book I think again this is just a subjective rating system that we've never pinned down and it's not a perfect 10 to us but man it's damn near close it's really close and I mean like this series as a and I I know you just keep talking about the series but it is late in the series and I highly recommend all the books in the series because I I haven't had an issue with any of them. And I think so much fun. Yeah, they're all just so much fun. So read, read, read. But yeah, 
And I'm waiting are- for the next one. Don't worry. <laughs> and speaking of reading, what are we reading next time? We are celebrating a Bridgerton happily ever after. And uh, it's our last one. Are we celebrating? <laughs> the story is not particularly celebratory. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't say we're <laughs> celebrating. It's actually quite dark for a happily ever after. For a second epilogue, it's quite dark. But it is our last one. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, and listeners, you'll have to tune in next week to hear all about the darkness. Um, but we are reading the Bridgertons Happily Ever After, and we're reading Gregory's second epilogue. And yeah, we had some thoughts and feelings, especially me. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of thoughts and feelings. And we always love to hear your thoughts and feelings. So if you have any comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is romancepod at gmail.com. And don't hesitate to drop us a line. Yeah. Email, social media. I feel like we're pretty good at responding to messages from our listeners. Like, so yeah, you can... um, Email us at romancepod at gmail.com or, you know, chat with us via Instagram, probably more so than Twitter, because I don't think either one of us uses Twitter that often. (laughs) I scroll on it more than I should and like posts that I'm always just like, I really should probably make a personal Twitter account at this point. (laughs) No, that's fine. Just use ours. It's fine. (laughs) Get some action then. (laughs) Yeah. um, But uh, yeah, we love to hear from you. And thank you for hearing from us. Thank you for listening. And join us next time as we read the Bridgertons Happily Ever After, Gregory's second epilogue. And may all your ever afters end happily. 